I don't want to say a lot of my self-identity comes from this movie, but like a lot of it kind of does. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks, and here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And today, we are joined by Hunter Barcroft, returning to the show. Hunter, welcome back. Happy to be here, as always. Yeah, this is this was, I guess, um, like, it's been years in the making, it feels like, for this, this episode. This feels like a long uh, time coming. <laughs> yeah, coming. When you sent yeah, me the list, and you're like, do I really destiny. need to ask you? And I was like, yeah. nah, you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're talking about the sandlot today but that talks that brings up the fact this month we've been talking about summer movies and the kind of the summer genre and this genre is not as say well defined as say uh, a murder mystery or a uh, coming of age even even yeah but the summer genre is very specific in its time and place and that's one big thing that comes comes into play with these movies is time and the passage of time and how a lot of these movies deal with younger characters and when you're younger time passes at a different pace than say when you're older uh it's slower uh you kind of can summer can sometimes feel endless but yet once it ends it feels like it came by in a blink of an eye um and so with lies we talked about with stand by me or with everybody wants some time plays a factor and in a lot of those movies including today it's like there is that coming of age element that comes in these summer summer movies a lot of the time where characters can grow up at a very quick pace it's like stand by me we talked about how like they they go they're gone for two days but at the end of the movie it's like they walk in the new town it feels like the town town feels smaller all of a sudden because they've gone through so much um and that happens with a lot of these with some of these movies um there's also an autobiographical nature to a lot of these films uh if it's through say a narration like in stand by me where you have someone like richard dreyfus who's looking back at a specific period in his life with the summer um or even everybody wants some where it feels like the care the, the filmmaker is kind of the 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 narrator in a way they're they're giving you uh their story of a specific time that they remember that they grew up in um, and a lot of these movies, I come to find out that we've talked to, I think all the movies we're talking about this month are like period pieces in a way. They're looking back at a specific time of a, maybe a simpler time uh, for the people who are talking. Um, and yeah, they, they all have that coming of age. A lot of them have coming of age nature to them. So that's kind of what we've talked about this month. And I think a lot of that will come into play when talking about today's movie, The Sandlot. So, so Hunter, I guess... Leah this. why did you pick The Sandlot? It's my favorite movie ever made, Brandon. <laughs> I've watched it more than any movie I've had probably ever. This is like one of the, like, the few movies that... It was like this, Rookie of the Year. Uh, we, were big, we were a big Sandlot house, big like baseball house. We were a big Airbud house. Any kind of sports movie with dogs in it? You were... We were here for <laughs> you it. Were li- you were living up in the '90s Disney live action sports. I really like, was. It was that was the best time of my life. Yeah, but you know, and I'll honestly, it really is. It's always had a very special place in my heart for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say a lot of my self identity comes from this movie, but like a lot of it. Kind of does. <laughs> um, well, I think there's a character specifically that I'm like, oh, Hunter wanted to be this character when he was growing up. Oh, which one? Oh, that's Ham. Oh, dude, for sure. I've got a Ham Porter. <laughs> I've got a hand porter and a squints. Uh, what do you call those little like Funko Pops in here? Oh, in, Funko Pops. A little Funko oh, Pop. Gosh. Yeah, hand porter's pointing out 
about to hit one over the home over the home run fence, baby. The dude's we'll, we'll talk about this. There's, there's a specific legendary. scene where I was like, "Oh, this is this is this is what Hunter wished wished he. I don't know what, what you were as a child, but like I feel like you wished you were this when you're like 12, and that's like." When Ham is behind the plate when they're playing the opposing team, that was me. And My dad, I, I did that. Yeah. I was a catcher, so I was a catcher, and I wanted to play catcher specifically so that I could do that, and I loved it. And my dad, so my dad was my little league coach, and his best friend was the umpire in our league, and he would sit there and just laugh because I'd sit there and just heckle these poor kids, like just say like awful stuff a lot of stuff in this movie but then like i would just kind of really like, ramble with it and my dad's friend after the game would come up to my dad and be like i don't know where your son gets some of this material but it's incredible <laughs> and that was a lot of my childhood you know i like, grew up in a very small little suburb of, of birmingham um yeah. you know very close tight-knit community we both like both my brother and i both played baseball every yeah. year until we graduated high school so it was like this movie is a lot of my youth in a movie form. Now the movie talking about your, your dad's friend bringing the umpire. That's so that's also a specific point of like or a thing of like my childhood too of like I mean it's like smaller towns or not but and Tesla's wasn't like a small town, but like the community where like everyone kinda knows a lot of people. So like I know I, I had like like some of my dad's like childhood friends were like the referees of our basketball games growing up or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, so like they know who you are and it's so odd. Or then also like you have the same referees every year. And like, I remember like one, I remember one, uh, a dad of one of my good friends, we played basketball, we were in high school and, or actually I was already graduated and I was at the game and he was there watching, I think like his daughter play. And he was yelling at the referee. He's like, you've been this blind since the YMCA days. Like, and that's like <laughs> seven, that's like 15 years. And uh, he's like, he goes, he goes, we had him back then. It was terrible. Then he's terrible now. Like it's like, amazing. it's, it's just, it, it's a, a constant thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about the Sandlot. Um, you picked it because your favorite movie. So lead us into this. What is the Sandlot about Hunter? So the Sandlot is a 1993 uh, sports coming of age comedy, like you just said, very eloquently. Yeah. Um, you know about a group of young baseball players during the summer of 1962, but more importantly, it's also a story about uh, being a child of divorce. It's a story about um, not fitting in in a new town. Uh, it's a story about the endless summer, the pursuit of whatever that means for you. I feel like everyone's idea of the endless summer is different, but like. If there's there's so many ways to describe this movie, you know, it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, and the importance of friendship. I know, like we we talked about this in everybody wants some, and also a little bit Sammy County's uh, kind of er, er, versions of this were like, and everybody wants some. You kind of have like this mentor that that Jake's character has, Finnegan and um, uh, Willoughby are kind of these like mentors for Jake and kind of leading him through the the early college days and what life is like and how you're trying to find yourself. Um, or in Stand By Me, you have the character that Will Wheaton plays kind of telling the story of, of River Phoenix and kind of you're looking at River Phoenix through this young kid's eyes and kind of the, the almost like, yeah, he's the leader of the group. And I think with Sandlot, you have a mixture of that where Benny is kind of a mentor de- for Smalls. He's the de facto leader. He's a de facto leader. He's kind of a, a mentor for Smalls. And also because, as we'll talk more into kind of the narration of this, like 
Smalls is, is reliving the, the summer in his life and looking at kind of the legend of Benny in a way. And how like you can't like you can't tell Benny's story through Benny's eyes because it will never be as grand. You have to see it from this observer, which is Smalls. Um, but yeah, you get the importance of friendship and how friends are important in your growth and and growing yeah. up and 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 becoming kind of who you are. It's like it's hard to do it without friends around you um, to make that happen. So I think a lot of that sandlot has to do with the importance of friendship at a specific age in your life. Yeah, I completely agree. That was beautifully said. <laughs> but yeah, so the cat, it's, it's a, it's a ragtag group of kids. Uh, a lot of young child actors in the nineties. It feels like, uh, yeah, some deep, some mighty ducks in this movie. Yeah. Well, Benny, Benny. Yeah. Benny is, was a mighty duck. One of the best of one of the best. In yeah. He, God, well, he, he's, he's the dude for, I'm blanking on his name, but he's, he's the Miami guy who can't stop. Yeah. He can't stop. Is the thing. He he's can't like a, stop. He's like, was he the one that was a figure skater? Or he can't stop. I can't remember. No, no, he wasn't figure skater. He was one that can't stop. He was uh, uh Luis Mendoza. Yeah, Luis Luis Mendoza. Yeah, he Underrated. was like he was, my, he was like from Florida. It's like he was he was like the fastest skater, but uh, he couldn't stop. And and, and any kind of important crew members to to learn to know about for this movie? Um, I mean, you know, in all honesty, there's no one that really jumps out to me, um, that you would ever have known before. At least for me. Like there's no one that I was yeah. like, wow, surprise this person worked on this movie. A lot of these guys, I just like, I didn't know that mm-hmm. they, you know, I, it was new for me, new territory. Um, the director, David Mickey Evans, um, probably being the most notable, but we'll get into some of the other ones later. Uh, there's a prop master that had a lot of really good quotes about this movie. Um, the DP, uh, had some really good quotes about this movie. Yeah. Anthony Richmond, Looking at it, it's actually a pretty great DP. This movie is beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautifully shot he, film, especially the sequence. The 4th of July sequence is like, yeah, otherworldly beautiful. Like that is like, man, when he, you think about like summer in America, you think about 4th of July sequence and 4th in Sandlot. So, yeah. So it's been one of your favorite. Mo- it's one of your favorite. It's one. It's your favorite movie. Not one I think it's favorite. my favorite, it movie. favorite movie. It's not even one of my favorite. It's my favorite movie. I've And like this, this is like my favorite movie. And then Paddington 2 came into my life, and I'm like, damn, why you got to treat Sandlot like this? But it's still my favorite movie. It just holds such a special place in my heart because it's so personal to me. Yeah. That, yeah, it's my favorite movie. Yeah, so don't, don't, be, don't be upset if I, if I had negative things to say about it. I'll just say that I up won't. front. I, I, in, in my <laughs> notes, when it was like weaknesses, I'm like, I'm too biased to give an opinion on this. Yeah, that's, that's the key because I, yeah. I, watched, I watched a lot growing up too. And I had kind of a group of friends that like it wasn't a sandlot, but like we played and we played we did stuff in the neighborhood basically. It's like it's like we live in a cul-de-sac is what it was. So like it was mm-hmm. like it was it was all of us. So you had kind of like that gang that you um you had. And I think also too when you're a kid, like again with what, what Squints does, like you build up these legends of like the things around you or whatever. Like with if it's Mr. Myrtle and how he's has this man-eating dog in his back, and Mr. Myrtle's like the meanest man you've ever met. Like, we had a neighbor that was an older, we thought was the old woman who was probably like 40 years old that lived next door, which is not old at all. 
Um, but to us kids, like she was like, she was a witch basically. Like she was, I think she wasn't a great person, but that's the whole separate thing. Um, <laughs> but like, but, but like she just, she didn't, she hated us. Like we didn't do anything wrong. Most of the time. This is also just my kid's perspective of like, we didn't do anything wrong, but she hated us. Cause like she was in a cul-de-sac where like there's four houses and three of them have kids in it. And she's like right in the middle. And like, I could see why she'd hate us. I could see it. We had the um, same. We had the same thing because, like, when I in our neighborhood growing up, we had the sandlot situation. We played baseball yeah. in the Joneses' yard. It was the middle. It was the most centrally located yard. It was flat. Uh-huh. The problem was, of the of the yards in our neighborhood, the back of it. If you were to really hit a dinger straight out the Joneses' yard, it's gonna land yeah. in the yard of the guy who is like the most like he's a grass Nazi. Yeah, it's like the most pristine <laughs> grass. If you step on it, if you hit a ball into it. You might yeah. as well not even try to go get it until he gets around to giving it back. He'll like throw yeah. it around. But like you can't step a foot in the yard to get it or else his grass like looks wrong and there's clearly yeah. footprints and then you get yelled at. And then like we had that yeah. and then we had this other lady speaking of like old ladies who you thought was a witch. We had the same thing. Miss <laughs> Hoover. She's my next door neighbor. And she was like, well, she's a widow. She probably wasn't that old, but we thought she was old. But she would go like early in the morning to like beat the heat. She would yeah. go and like garden and like water plants in here. She had a lot of plants, uh-huh. so it looked kind of like it looked kind of like big fish where you go to that lady's <laughs> house. She just like yeah, her, but she's walking car. around yeah. in like the, the early like the dawn in like a white like, dress, yeah. like watering plants. You're like, this lady's a witch. She's placed like haunted. <laughs> and like I grew up, like we had these neighborhood legends, and I feel like that's something they really captured in this movie so well. Is that like you build yes. up these like legends in your mind as a child that you're like the beast is real. Like my grandpa yeah. it's been- locked him away for and like, yeah. dude, do you catch the part where he's like, he's like, they said he killed between 120, 173 <laughs> guys. <laughs> it was like, what? Yeah. It's very, <laughs> it Boo like Radley a, yeah, it was like so perfect, dude. But like that, that's, that was the way it was like growing up uh, as a child in America in like yeah. middle, middle America suburbs. Yeah. This is it. Like this this is the way it really was. You ride your bikes around, you play baseball, you do whatever yeah. in the neighborhood. That was the way life was. You do whatever you can to pass the time. So I I remember distinctly at a certain point in my in, in my like first grade or whatever, there was a an empty lot in our neighborhood. And it's weird that like it's still an empty lot to this day. I don't know who owns this lot, but it was like a, it was like a weird it's a weird shaped lot as thing is why it's like never sold or whatever. But it used to be like just a dirt lot. And we, I don't know what prompted us to go over there. But we we went over there and we found like bones in the in the actual like the 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 lot. And we're like, oh my god, there's dead people buried here. But it was like <laughs> it was it was like it was like cow bones. Or it, was like, it used to be like a farm or something before the neighbor was there. So it was just, it was bones of like of like animals essentially. But we like just like for days would spend like walking around this lot trying to find more bones even bought like a metal detector and it's like a cheap kid's metal <laughs> detector to see if we could like find like money or something that's buried in this lot because we were like oh my god what's going on here it's just that's amazing again it's so again, it's, it's with this movie too you'll see it's like it's very vignette heavy for the first half of it it's like it's it's this story then this story then this story they're not really all connected yeah and but that is somewhat reminiscent of, uh, say, your summer when you're just like, okay, for these days, like, we're doing this thing, 
and this is like our main focus for this many days until we get bored with that thing we move on to something else that's and that's it's so segmented in your mind of like those memories are those memories these memories are these memories you can't place the night where you can place the summer yeah kind of because i the age range of what i was at um but yeah that's so that's that's what i think this movie kind of captures is those kind of authentic childhood moments uh like that or just and just the essence of it all um so let's dive into how this movie gets to production so tell me a little bit about how the sandlot comes to be okay so um writer director david mickey evans uh, had uh, a bit of a rebound situation going on because he had actually been removed from production on his initial his like debut film that he sold to Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, it was 1992's Radio Flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been directing for ten shooting days, and then the dailies were so bad, the studio pulled him and gave it to someone else. And he like stepped away, and, like you know, willingly mm-hmm. was like, "Okay, I'll step down." I think he stayed on an EP like capacity, yeah. but um, it was so bad that he actually got blackballed pretty badly by one of the other producers on that movie, and had a really hard time figuring out how to pivot to whatever his next plan was going to be. Um, you know, but as that happened, um, you know, said he said he was driving in traffic and the idea to the sandlot came in his brain. Um, there's a quote. He said, my little brother and I had pretty bad childhood. We got bullied a lot and we had had these bullies at the end of our block that would never let us play baseball. And they were like maybe nine or 10 and they were playing baseball. And for some reason, my little brother went down there and they had, hit this baseball over the fence. Everybody knew there was a vicious dog named Hercules that lived behind the fence. Nobody was going to get the ball, but my brother wanted to play so bad. They said, okay, if you go get the ball and bring it back, you can play with us. And so he laughed and he was like, okay, I'll do it. And he hopped over the fence and his brother got like just mauled by this dog. Like it tore his legs out pretty bad. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. So then they just laughed at my brother and like, we never played baseball with them. And they were just like neighborhood bullies. But it was like such a traumatic event in my childhood, like remembering that. And he was like, so I just decided I was going to, he was like, I was thinking about it, you know, and the way that he needed to pare this down to like very few locations, have a mm-hmm. very like set group of kids. The cast is like, it's a lot of kids, but it is a pared down cast because you're just with the yeah, same yeah. nine kids and then like a couple of their parents and then Mr. Myrtle. And that's really it for the most part. And he was like, you know, I started thinking about, I was like, that's kind of the perfect way to frame this. And I'm just going to basically turn to the most traumatic experience from my childhood and like make the villains, the heroes. And I'm going to make this movie. Wow. And so that's really what spawned. It was his brother getting mauled by this dog when they were little kids. And he said like, you know, after he wrote it, he said he had a pretty hard time shopping it around town um, mm-hmm. due to the blackballing. And he said that he was pretty much shopped down everywhere except for one guy named Mark Berg who told uh, Evans that the Sandlot was arguably a better script than Radio Flyer and also said that he wanted Evans to direct because he called everyone else in town and they all told him that Evans couldn't direct, but he had a feeling that they can't all be right. (laughs) So this one guy was like, here's some money. Go out there and make it happen. I believe in you. Don't, if you, if you mess this up, I guess that's it. So like, it's a lot of pressure. You're going into this, like knowing you can't really afford to mess up. That obviously was a huge hurdle to overcome. It was like getting your second mm-hmm. chance at someone to believe in you after all of that. Uh, but then the second, I think, biggest hurdle making this particular movie is finding nine kids that can carry the film. Can act. That's, and that's difficult. 
Yeah, was, you know, path. and I always hear and it was like very interesting to hear the similarities between this and also everybody wants them or they sent them all to like, you know, baseball camp at you know yeah. the house or the ranch. Yeah, and it was like it's funny because it's like when they're doing this, the initial cast, they gathered a bunch of nine and 10 year old actors and brought them in for like a big test like together to see if they had chemistry. And uh, Sherry Rhodes, the casting director, pulled uh, Mickey Evans aside and was like, yeah, these kids are like babies. <laughs> like this is not gonna work the, this script will never work these kids are like babies so we need to recast yeah. this entirely and he was like oh I guess we'll have to restart so they started the casting search over again um, and they cast they went from casting 9 to 10 year olds to 12 to 13 year olds I think it really works uh, mm-hmm. I don't think 9 to 10 year olds would never have been able to sell this believably I don't think seeing just the way that these guys had to go through this process it was like mm-hmm. 4 to 5 callbacks and even then, like you come in, and if you don't make it through the baseball like initial rehearsal, like then you're done. <laughs> yeah, it's everybody yeah. wants them. It's the same exact thing, but yeah. you're doing it with children. Yeah. And it was like you know yeah. Marty York, who played Yeah Yeah, uh, was actually initially cast as Bertram, but on one of the baseball rehearsal days, an assistant director came up to him and was like, "Yeah, you're not really a Bertram. Maybe you should go back and read for another role." So they like took him out, sent him back to reread. And so he went back to read again and his mom gave him a giant like Hershey's chocolate bar to get him all like sugared out of his mind because they wanted to read for Yeah Yeah, who at the yeah. time, at the time, Yeah Yeah had already been cast as the guy who played Squints, Chauncey, Chauncey Leopardi. Oh, wow. And so this kid gets like sugar high out of his mind, goes in, reads for Yeah Yeah, and they're like, you're amazing. Uh, Chauncey, <laughs> you're no longer Yeah Yeah. You're going to be Squints. Marty, you're, you're now, yeah, yeah. And, like, they, none of these kids really had locked roles for a long time, it seems. That's like, very few of them. Yeah. Like, they were just kind of yeah. like, we know you want to be, we're no, you know, like, you're the kids. We don't know who's who. But, like, uh-huh. after a while, it seems like it started to fall into place. I think the last one to get cast was Patrick Renna, who played uh, Ham Porter. And you say yeah. he read for his part last. They told him without even doing a callback that it was his. But it all stipulated on if he made it through the baseball rehearsal day. And he made it through the rehearsal day and they pretty much were like, all right, like we're going to do two weeks of baseball, like intensive baseball camp. And it was interesting that Evans hired a character actor named Daniel Zacapa, who actually ended up playing Squince's police chief grandpa in the flashback <laughs> scene with the beast, like origin uh-huh. story mm-hmm. to basically come in and coach these kids at a field in Encino where the uh, Anthony Richmond, the the DP, actually was a coach of a Little League baseball team that played at this field. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically, once Evans was satisfied with the kids' play, playing ability, I think the biggest thing, the biggest concern was, like, if they're using real film, they're shooting on film, you can't have mm-hmm. these kids, like, messing up a lot, throwing yeah. baseballs around because you're just burning through film and it's costing a lot of money. So you really want to make sure that they were good. And he's like, so I brought them in, and basically Daniel Zacapa was like, all right, like, until you're – satisfied we'll just have these kids like learn to play baseball and so two weeks then he was like all right i trust these kids not to screw up enough i guess we'll go shoot and they left california and headed to salt lake city and started to shoot the damn oh, thing oh so they shot in utah yeah i i did not know that i learned that this time around i thought they shot in la it looks like they shot in I, la i thought they shot not. in like somewhere somewhere in socal too yeah it's not it's in salt lake city okay it's all salt lake city i was fascinated to learn that i did not know that so we get to production. So let's dive into favorite scenes here. I've got um, a lot of them. What? Ready. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie, Brandon. Let's talk from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, well, all right. Scene one. What is your favorite oh, adults, movie? Adult Smalls walking through the, 
through the hallowed halls of Dodgers Stadium. Um, it is a great uh, scene. It is a great scene. We got a story about that later I, in fun facts. I was watching that scene, and, you, and maybe you'll tell. But that's so fun because I feel like like we're like Thomas. I talked about this with Stand by Me. We're like you forget. You know the movie's a frame narrative. You always remember like the ending of the movie, but you always forget what happens at the beginning. And I always kind of like feel like yeah, it's just it's it's Arliss Howard like walking through Dodger Stadium. I'm not entirely sure what year it's supposed to be because I know it's not present day. It shouldn't be present day because like because Benny would well maybe it is because Benny would be older and he says like he's lost a step or two. Um. But that would make Benny like forty-two at that point. In yeah, time and like he's not Cal playing Rickon a baseball. But like, uh, but yeah, I always for, kind of forget. Oh yeah, this is kind of the beginning of this movie, and it it, it does it for a bit. It's it's like, um, and he kind of sets up the movie. But no favorite scenes. Uh, it's what I forgot coming into it this time is that you really forget like how late the dog plot comes into it and the baby oh, yeah. ball comes into it. It's, it's kind of the midpoint of the movie. It's like, that's, what's so interesting structurally with this film. It's like, as I said earlier, it's very vignette heavy. It's, it's the, it's the chewing, chewing, the chewing tobacco and throwing up at the fair. It's the windy peppercorn scene. It's the, um, uh, and the pool scene, or it's, uh, like we're doing this thing today or whatever. It's the, it's the 4th July sequence. It, it's very vignette and then like oh yeah let's let's do the whole baseball thing but the vignette scenes are the best man the vignette scenes work so well in my mind i love the vignette scenes i know that's something that you think is probably a weakness the story is probably a little choppy no i i don't think it's i don't think it's a weakness the story i think i think it works it's just an interesting choice to make is what i'm is what i'm kind of pointing out it's like usually you don't have that where like the first hour of your movie is just like small stories, small stories. And then the last half, one big story. I think it's that also interesting it, choice. It helps the, the nostalgia factor in this movie. Cause everyone's mm-hmm. had at least one or two of those vignettes. Everyone has some loose connection to something similar in their life. I feel like. Yeah. So you're like, Oh yeah, I've been there. That was me. I think that that is kind of true. I think it helps set up this endless summer of like all these vignettes yeah. are displaced, but still take place in the same summer. And you're like, yeah, I remember the summer of my childhood that it was just a lot like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think if, to talk about like favorite scenes, I keep if I keep backtracking on this, but favorite scenes, I, I think the most memorable scene for me is is the Fourth of July sequence. Actually, it's so good. I, I think the Fourth of July sequence is just it's just kind of like uh, it, it it paints the picture of like a perfect suburban neighborhood and this kind of specific thing where like this one day is so uh important to these kids it's like we can actually have a we have a night game like the big boys and the and the big league um because the fire the fireworks uh light up the skies enough to 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 allow us to do so um yeah. and always and also kind of like a character thing where like it smalls kind of points out it's like when we're all like staring up at the sky kind of distracted by because we're kids we're all kids we're staring at the fireworks benny's like rounding the bases because benny's so focused on what he loves i mean essentially obsession of baseball um and I think that's just a very magical uh moment 
in the yeah. movie that I think works very well. That thing is always like I think one of the things everyone think I thinks about with that movie is that specific sequence because it kind of captures the nostalgia factor, the growing up factor. It's 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 funny you you bring up the it's sixty two and because I remember that being a thing where it's nineteen sixty two and uh, there's something in the nineties this happened a lot I feel like and even before and because I think I mean uh, Lucas does it in American Graffiti but it's kind of that baby boomer generation where they're looking back on the right before Kennedy gets assassinated. Yeah, like, this is the end of the golden era. It's it's because if you look at like we're gonna, I think Dirty Dancing we'll talk about next week, but like that's that's sixty three the summer of sixty three. It's right before Kennedy gets assassinated. Mm-hmm. If you look at American Graffiti, it's sixty two. It's the year before Kennedy gets assassinated. There's there's kind of big thing in this period of filmmaking where at least the coming of age or whatever, where it's like Kennedy's assassination is essentially the the death of innocence in a way. This is our nine eleven. It you know it was it's like that's yeah. when everything is pushed uh-huh. to a new you're in a new world now, and so sixty two sixty two and summer sixty three is kind of like the last um kind of uh memorable like innocent moment in your life. So like yeah like nowadays like would it be like the summer of two thousand is what would be the 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 uh or the summer of two thousand one would be kind of the correlation to it yeah um, I, I completely agree because that's when i was out riding around playing baseball with the boys in yeah James Wood. things kind of changed all of a sudden so yeah so movies like this set in 62 are kind of that period of right before all that happens right before the glass breaks works really well and so it is this nostalgia factor so uh, yeah sandlot is like it it does it very well um here and and again going with that kind of eight the death of innocence or in like this american type stuff that's again why this fourth july sequence is kind of important where like it is showing the american ideals and the american values or whatever of this or what or how kid how kids view america maybe if that's the thing at this point in time before everything changes this is before yeah. vietnam before uh, all these different things. I mean, still things are still not great in the country. Civil rights movement is definitely raging uh, down in, in the South at this point. But it's like to the, the most American public, it's it's still like a time of 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 leave it to Beaver esque in a way. Um, but yeah, uh, so that scene that's a long one way of saying Fourth of July sequence. Um, what about scene. you? What's another Deserves scene? It. What's what's another scene for you? Uh, I mean, obviously, I love just like shamelessly loved. Babe Ruth's magical appearance in Benny the Jet's bedroom right, to give him the yeah. PF flyers. Yeah, like I, dude, I'm still wearing. I'm wearing PF flyers right now, man. I had them on <laughs> for the recording. I bought them when I was uh, when I was in college. Actually, the last time I had them on was your going away party when you moved to LA. Oh wow! Yeah, wow, that was a while. Yeah, they've been sitting in my closet collecting dust. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put them on for the episode put them on for today. It's for a little for a little nostalgia for the. Good old day, glory days, but that sequence is amazing. He he basically takes Hank Aaron's baseball card off of Benny's yeah. bed and is like, "I'm gonna hold on to this." Henry Aaron, I like this kid. Yeah, yeah. ended up breaking his record to 74. But like, there's little details hidden around. I just love that, like that childlike, like I had a dream of Babe Ruth's ghost visited me in my bedroom. Yeah, like like that that's could, beautiful. That a, that's awesome. That could be the. That could be the beginning of the movie. I mean, that's field of it dreams could be. or whatever. It yeah, could it's be. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. it really could have been like the inciting like thing that like I saw Babe Ruth's ghost and he told me that if I put these magic shoes on, I could pickle the beast. Yeah, but if he did that, Benny there would sound is. insane. <laughs> yeah, that's but, that's you know, that's that's the that's the key of like having Smalls be the observer here, being the perspective that we're seeing it through. Because like then you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Because Benny is is this amazing guy. He's an amazing baseball player. Of course, Babe Ruth would want to come see him in his dreams. <laughs> like, oh yeah, of course, he's the chosen yeah, one. Yeah, all these kids are just like cannon fodder, so he can get free practice every day. Yeah. Like that's it's, it's really what it comes down to. Like it, it's yeah. yeah, obviously speaking of smalls, the I'm gonna go play catch. Any scene where him and Dennis Leary have anything to do with each other, hilarious. Dennis Leary okay. is like the, the best worst stepdad ever. That's what I was say. I was like I was like, is Smalls bad at baseball or is just Dennis Leary bad at coaching him? He's just a bad like, stepdad, dude. It's like his throws were terrible. Like he doesn't give good advice. At first, but, at first. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't know how to be a dad. Yes, you're right. He doesn't know how to be a good stepdad at this point He doesn't want to be a good stepdad. <laughs> He's just like, I'm disinterested. He just wanted to marry Karen Allen. Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't? But yeah, any scene that they're in, amazing. Absolutely. And like, it's just like, you can tell Dennis Leary is perfectly cast in that role. Yeah, it's very, and the thing with that, it's like, um, yeah, you get that kind of, the kind of awkward relationship between like, stepfather and 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 well, that's stepson. how it is that's how it is it's that's exactly how it is it's like it hey uh you want to go Bill? do this thing that my yeah. real dad should do with me and you're like not really it yeah. was you know like smalls is so funny he's like he doesn't know how to call him dad or bill he's like dad i mean bill and the next guy's like bill i mean dad like he keeps like he doesn't know he doesn't know how to like what this relationship is and like is he saying it because he wants to, or is he saying it because it's a formality? Like, what is it? And I guess too, in Dennis Leary's perspective, it's like, he, I mean, he's marrying into like, he's marrying a woman that has like a 12 year old kid at that point, may 11 or whatever. It's like at that moment in time, that's probably kind of a, a, a rare thing in the early sixties to see. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around, um, but like, it's kind of, it's not probably a big thing that happens at that point in time. But um, marries, marries someone with a 12 year old son. It's like and, and her, yeah, yeah, and her being a widow at kind of a young age in a way. It's like it's it's a lot. It's a lot at that point in time. Um, You're not wrong. And, I mean, it's also that yeah. like is Dennis Leary necessarily like the number one prospect? Like, yeah, he makes a lot of money, but he's also not that nice. So it's like I don't know. Maybe she's yeah. settling in a way, in her own way, and like he comes around. Dennis Leary comes around yeah. to not being terrible, or like, and he's I would say he's terrible. He's just not nice. He just he's not like a. Yeah, well, He's kind of just like set in his ways. He's got too much alpha male yes, energy. I and he's that. very clear I that his stepson is a little beta. So he's like, ah, you know, like I don't really want to waste uh, my time teaching this beta well, kid how to play baseball. Well, no, I don't think it's that. I just think he doesn't know how to be a dad. It's like, I think he's still like talking about nostalgia. He's still like, I don't know if he like played baseball, like as a high school or college, but like, it's like, uh, 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 and it, like he has like this whole shrine He's got the armchair quarterback mentality of like, I have yes. all this baseball stuff. Yes. I love baseball, yes. but I've never played I it ba- since I was a child. Yeah. And so like he, and I think he doesn't really know how to be a, a dad. Cause like it's all of a sudden you're handed a kid that's like 12 years old and you're like, raise it. And you're like, what? Like it, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's a different, uh, uh, I guess different responsibility all of a sudden. 
and Karen, Karen Allen's great because she's again she's a like loving mother who's like wants to see her kid do well and like but she's also like the one telling Bill like you know just take 10 minutes take a half hour of your day and play baseball with our son at that point in time what she's probably thinking um, but I, lo- I love Smalls that way he's like when he's like hey, I want to see if you like want to, want to play baseball or whatever and he's like oh not right now he's like okay cool uh, I'll, I'll go out. He just like, like awkwardly like leaves, and she's just like, Karen's like, no, 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 no. You can take a half hour. I'm really busy. You can take a half hour, and it's like, okay, I'll take a half hour. Then that again, just the the kind of differences between his coaching and Benny's coaching. Like Benny is such a better coach because like Benny is like so obsessed with baseball, but not in like the I worship. He worships the players or whatever, like say Bill does, but but it looks like Benny is so obsessed with like the craft of baseball and how to actually play it's it the art. and how to get better. It's the art of it all. It's, it's like how, like how to become better, not just to fawn over the glory days of baseball. How can I add my name to this ledger or whatever? Um, yeah, it's ball and- is a game versus ball is life, man. <laughs> it's true. It's um, true. I know. I agree. I agree. And that's why I think Benny is. Um, another thing I like, uh, the baseball scene with the, um, uh, the neighbors with the other, with the other team, with the other team, They're the rich kids, the rich kids. Yeah. We all have play like s- weird uniforms. Yeah. Like, because, because that's, that's the scene where like, you really see like how good they are as baseball players in reality. Oh dude. Like, Ham Porter puts be- on a clinic with those kids, man. <laughs> It's like, you know what I mean? It's like Benny's always just like, like smacking, like, like just basically hitting balls out to him and running bases. You don't really know if they're all good or not is yeah. the thing. It's just yeah. like, cool. They're, they're, they're ball boys for these, for, for Benny basically. Yeah, they are. And then when, when they play, <laughs> when they play, it's like, oh, he's, they're actually all really good. Yeah. And Benny's trained them to be like his little, his little his like all star team. Your perfect yeah. team. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like he has, they have everything they need right there. Um, and it's just a kind of a great sequence where like you, you kind of get like the characters, you get the, the trash talk, which is something you do when you're playing any type of sports at a young age. Um, and yeah, Ham, again, Patrick, Patrick Renna as Ham really just kind of still stills stills the scene in the, in this moment as ham and kind of like i think i think that's what makes him kind of the standout in the group even including benny i think it's just he he is the funny trash talking catcher oh 100 and, he steals and the this show. and and this scene is what kind of like solidifies it i think it's like hey is that your sister out in the right field or whatever um it's the trash talk and then following it up by pointing it at and then going out there and yeah. hitting that shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it, it's cranking like, it out there, dude. Like, that's it. That's the that's the dream realized. For yeah, me. that's always the kid that, like, he, he's a trash talker, but he can't back it up. But, like, Ham Porter can <laughs> can back it up. He can back it up. And, like, the other part of that is, you know, I was doing in research for this, that scene in particular. So those, the trash talk lines were initially written for Benny. Yeah, Benny uh, wouldn't do that. But on the day... On the day, he was like, Benny's like a hero to these kids. He would never do this. No. Like, he doesn't need to. Ham will do it when he's behind the plate. But he's never, like, this has never been scripted for him, so he has no idea what he's supposed to be saying. So he's like, 
Evans is sitting in the dugout with a microphone, uh-huh. with a bullhorn, feeding him lines, feeding Patrick Rinna lines, and Patrick Rinna's just repeating what he's saying and then ad-libbing some of it. But, like, none of that was ever scripted for him. That was wow. all supposed to be Benny, and it just changed morning of. Wow, what a... Yeah, Benny would But never... iconic! But it's, like, an iconic part of that movie that, like, would not have been the same. Yeah, I, I mean, that that kind of puts Patrick Rinna in, like, in, like 90s, like kid movie like hall of fame in a way yeah there's like, like act, god tier god tier kid yeah. actor in the 90s it was that because because of that scene and he's fantastic hurry up batter it's gonna be a short game and i gotta get home for lunch <laughs> that's one you know if my dog was as ugly as you i'd shave his butt and tell him to walk backwards. The heater. Here it comes. I dare you. Strike three, you're up. Hey, is that your sister out there in left field? Naked? She's naked. Shut up, Porter! Hey, hey, hey! I'm just trying to have a little friendly conversation. Come on. You think she'd go out with me? What's another scene that you that you like? I mean, the chase sequence at the end. Yeah, kind of towards the end. Awesome chase sequence. We get to see a lot more of the town that we've never seen before. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah I wrote. I wrote uh, that was the part where I wrote good production design because it, it really does like it builds out the town a little bit. You get the storefronts. You get the Benny's slide underneath the the screen and the like. At the Wolfman is, is fantastic. Oh, like man. he just slides underneath the curtain. It's amazing. Slides in the and then it like. Hercules, the beast comes through the screen Just and all the people like screaming. Yeah. It's amazing. It was like, yeah, man, I, this is this rules. The, the kind cake of like running through the picnic. Yeah, the cake. Yep, was amazing. It's it, it's all yeah, it's all it's like Founder's Day. I think is what it was. Um, no, it's a great scene. And I think that's in terms of like if you're talking about memorable scenes in the movie, I say Fourth July is up there, and I think this is kind of like the second one that everyone kind of points to is the big Hercules chase through the, through the town. I also love the beginning of that chase sequence where it's playing like the, the Western spaghetti, Western music. And then like, yeah, it starts mm-hmm. with like a whip crack sound in the slow motion. I'm like, Oh man, I'm buying it. I'm all about yeah. it. The PF flyers are working. <laughs> this kid's about to jump over this fence. That's way too tall. What? Well, here's the thing. What, what I thought was so fun with the PF flyers thing. Cause like he's wearing PF flyers, but they're old and then he puts on like brand new PF flyers. And like my thought was like I would never run in brand new shoes like ever like they would need to get a new trim on so. the tires. <laughs> Just like I, would, say I, would no. never I agree with you, it's too stiff. I'd be, yeah, I would be running faster in the old shoes. Like I would not I be running faster. Just fast as in the new shoes. as a wearer, as a review of PF Flyers, yeah. not known for being super flexible shoes. There's no way you're gonna. There's no way you're gonna get like massive Take them out of the box ups. and just yeah. Yeah, you're not gonna slide, <laughs> grab a ball in loose dirt then have the traction these are like basketball oh, yeah. shoes like i feel like i'm yeah. like larry bird when i wear these things i'm not running through dirt like yeah they're like a, a off brand or they're like another brand of converse basis what it feels yeah. like and they this look and converse they, and they, with a thicker like midsole what yeah. i would describe it but as, I, like I, I thought toe. about that i thought about that i was just like dope benny why do you do it like don't put in the new shoes that's gonna slow you down like it's like your feet are gonna be bleeding by the end of it probably um and then the other thing I thought too that I thought was funny, I was just like, "Wow, Benny's back took some damage during this movie." 
Because like oh, Benny, yeah. or in the story, because Benny flips over twice in this movie and lands Triple straight on back. <laughs> yeah. He does. He does one. He does one out of the, um, the treehouse. Treehouse when that when it's about to when the vacuums are about to explode. He flips mm. over and lands flat on his back on the on on the ground. And he does it again when he flips over the fence from the fence falling down, rides back. I was like, dude, Benny's back. I know he's a kid, but that's got to that's gotta leave some damage later on. Yeah, that like, stunt guy, that stunt guy got some work, yeah. bro. Get paid, stunt man. Mentioning the, the treehouse sequence, that entire sequence, the erector set. Uh-huh. I've been there. Like, you know, you just like you get put <laughs> in and you're like, you're like, we're gonna build this really weird contraption that makes no sense and was really not like worth the time investment that we put into it. And yeah. then like all the vacuums that they stole from their parents up in the treehouse, and you're like, there's something so childlike yeah. about like what they're trying to do. I'm like, Yeah, you got it. Pull it up. It's like I did like, Yeah. I did like, wonder what? when watching that scene, so I did wonder, I was like, wow, did like Smalls just give give up on his life in science to be a baseball announcer? Like I feel oh, like yeah. Smalls could have been like a, like, like a, a great engineer. Yeah, been a great engineer. He could have put people on like, you know, on the moon, dude. Like that guy, that guy should have been an astronaut. And he's like, he's like, nah, I love my friend Benny. I spent my whole life being yeah, I, his personal baseball assistant. I'm going to yeah, keep I'm being assuming, that. So it's like, yes, it's kind of odd. It was kind of it odd. Is, it like, is a, it's a weird pivot. It is a weird yeah. pivot. But <laughs> it like that sequence when the, when the vacuums blew up, when I was a little kid, the brother who's still in the thing, the Timmons brother, dude, I thought he was dead. And they saw his ghost when he was a little kid. I thought he was dead. And I'm like, so his ghost climbs down from the thing and then is like, the plan was never going to work. I should have known it all along. And it was like, well, yeah, I always, I always like when I, when I, cause when I was a kid too, I thought the same thing. I was like, I was like, wait, who is that kid? Cause he looks so different with like all the, like, like the dust and dirt over yeah. him. You're just like, yeah. who's that kid? Was he watching the entire time? He's commenting on what they did wrong. And then you realize like, oh, that's one of the, that's, is it Timmy? I think mean, it's Timmy, it's Timmy. Of the, of it's the Timmy, Timmy and Tommy. Yeah. But yeah, but basically kind of sets up the whole, the ending with him, with them, uh, of like what they did. Um, so let's see, there's two, two more, well, James Earl Jones is fantastic in this movie. I have to say like, he kind of comes in in one scene basically and becomes one of the most memorable parts of the movie. Just talking about playing baseball and talking about Babe Ruth and everything. Yeah, and like um, really, like just kind of bringing it back down, yeah, to these kids of being like, yeah, you know, you're like yeah. and kind of the savior that they need because that ball is so screwed up at that point, and it's like, oh man, like that. Yeah, I agree with you. He's amazing in this but movie. But that, but that's when the mythology and the legend like is revealed to be a, a hoax. And when not saying it was all like they like he was. Mr. Merle was trying to pretend to be a, a, a an angry man, but it's kind of like what those kids built up uh, in their head. I love that moment when they're just like, "Why don't you just knock on the door?" And they all start like hitting squints. Like he's like, "I didn't know, I didn't know." He's just like, because <laughs> he was just like, "No, he's it's because it, he was just like this is bad." Even when they're doing, it, he's like, "Bad idea. This is a bad idea. You don't go up there." He's just so in his head, like. This guy is going to kill us. Is what it my feels like. It's, my grandfather scared yeah. the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. This yeah. man is terrifying. It's when, not worth when basically, it. When basically it was just probably time, like, yo, don't go like play like mess with that stranger's house. 
and they just said that to scare the kid and he's just like oh that's what happened um killed 120 170 guys 120 to um, 173 guys <laughs> why the extra three yeah it's crazy. <laughs> the, i mean honestly like do you have any other favorite scenes because i've got like two well, more oh bring up your two bring up your two so the the treehouse scene i don't know much to say about yeah. it other than like that s'more sequence amazing amazing use of of uh Ham porter, fantastic! Ham, use great use of ham porter. Great use of great use of when uh, when the lion sleeps tonight. Coming it really in, was. that great shot of like the 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 wide the wide shot of the the treehouse with the lights and all these kids. I did wonder whose house is that they're at because that's someone's backyard and I'm not sure whose it is. Where that's that treehouse is at, I, I have no, no clue where that is because they're it, in that backyard and I'm like, whose house is this? Yeah, they never explain that. They never say. Yeah, and it's like a very well-built treehouse. Like it's probably the most it nice is. treehouse you've ever seen in your life. And also when they're when they're like inside of it, it's like the treehouse of dreams when you're a kid. Yeah, like, this is what I want, but I'll never have. <laughs> you think to yourself like how how many how many treehouses do you know that could fit nine kids? Yeah, like, not the like, one that they blew nine, up in the exterior shot could not fit nine kids. I'll just put it that no, way. Like but, nine kids, and not like nine treehouse. small kids. Like nine kids who are about to be teenagers like they're bertram's pushing like five Bert, nine <laughs> Benny so, and bertram some tall dudes yeah they're, some like kind they're, of tall they're, dudes. they're taking up the room of two ham porter and, and not no, a small kid no, yeah, no, yeah no offense to ham ham porter he's not taking up a small space on that on that tree house but like that's i love that scene that's a beautiful scene to me and then i love the flashback uh in that scene where you getting like the really horrible creature effects of this like massive dog that's it, it's like perfectly but it's like bad but also like in a way it kind of works it like doesn't feel dated because you're like it's it's a flashback scene set in like way back in the day yeah and it's actually shot very well it like, actually feels like newsreel fo- footage is the thing yeah. i think it's done really well he ate him bones and bones all, and all. so good man and he had, like the way they light him sitting there and he's holding that bb gun yeah and he's sitting there with his back to the, his back to like, the bunk like, bed. It's like, it's like, like he's in a like in an Oliver Stone like war <laughs> yeah, film, yeah, like in exactly platoon or something. Like, isn't it, he's, yeah, he's, he's 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 Kurtz in uh in a uh, Apocalypse Now talking to Martin to Martin Sheen is what it is. Like, yeah, it's but it's like so well done. It's I don't know, man. I love that scene. That scene. Um, I mean, I feel like we have to talk about the Woody Peppercorn scene. I was yeah, I was about to say that. Yes, yeah. I feel like that's it's so iconic. Like it's it's iconic. It is maybe iconic. not maybe I, not maybe not a great way, but I, yeah, I, it is like part of my sexual awakening as a as a young up and coming boy. So like, yeah, it is what it is. I guess like, did Winnie Peppercorn consent to being kissed? No. Well, did yeah, he I, fake his own drowning? <laughs> yes. Yeah, believably yeah, so. Well, here, honestly, well here. Well, here, here's my, here's my, here, and may I talk about this? Did, not, did, not, did anything not work? Uh, my, my issue with it, it's really, it's not the the scene. I, I, the scene's questionable, sure, and that's fine. It's, it's the ending where it's like, oh yeah, Wendy and S- Small and Squints like married and have nine kids, and I was like, wait, did she just like, basically keep tabs on him every day after that like what happened well they there? had a little exchange of the fence where he comes back up by himself and he's like looking up yeah. at her like yeah i did that and she like and she gives him the recognition and, and smiles and yeah, like and then acts like she doesn't know him anymore and it's a flirtate it's a flirtatious smile she gives him 
But he's like, also like a ve- child. He's like a small child. That's the thing. It's like She's I can see her. I can see her just being like this stupid, dumb kid. Like the balls on this kid. It's kind. Of, like, I could see her like shaking her head and like smiling at him that way. But it's yeah. like, oh yeah, he married Wendy Peppercorn. I was like, what? It's, she's it's thought just, about a day a, ever since. Yeah, like was she thinking about squints the entire damn time? I mean, like, if that, some kid faked their death so that that would happen, maybe you would feel the same way. I don't and us and like, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's that, that's know. the part where it kind of like it tips it over for me, where I was like, it was needless mod- for sure. Yeah. But as like a kid, you're like, oh yeah, of course he did. Yeah, like- my hero, <laughs> my yeah. man, my guy. But now, but now at my thirty years, I was like, oh man, she's a predator. Oh, like, for sure. But also, it was like, it's never really stated how old she is. She's just like in a position of. They like, don't. They some, don't. They don't. Like, she's at least a little bit older, but like, like, like there's is, no is way is to she like six? Is, is she like 16 and he's 12? Like, I, I figured she was like 15, maybe. 15, six, let's see, And he's no, like no. maybe 13. So, like, it's not that weird, but they're also just in two very different places of like maturity. Yeah. At, at the time think. of filming, she, she was 18, I will say. Okay, then. <laughs> you know that's the thing how was and and he was and he was 11 wow <laughs> uh, oh man I, I don't know how, yeah this this is a questionable scene i will just say i i, I don't i'm not defending or uh, it's just it's an odd scene but i do I, when you're in 90s you don't think anything of it when you're a kid, you think it's like, oh yeah, like now now you have this whole thing about consent. You're like, yeah, this dude just like tricked her so he can make out with her in front of everyone, in front of his friends, and everyone likes his like, good job, Squints. Um, but yeah, oh, I feel like you can, I've yeah, I feel like you can get a. I, I feel like if you don't have that ending of like they married and had nine kids and they That's run fine. the store or whatever, I think it, you can get you can make it a little bit more passable because you're like, yeah, a twelve year or a twelve year old kid would do that. Because he's dumb. That would be her, that would be her reaction. Because she's he's dumb. He doesn't understand, and he learned. Hopefully, he learns from what he did when he gets thrown out and she yells at him. But just kind of, and I get the, and I get her being kind of like again, like upset at first, and then like being like that little kid, like just like made a pass at me. Had the ball again, the confidence in that little kid. But I, I think it ends there. I think it just ends there. Yeah, the video's the over. It, yeah. it's over that's it we never need to go back to that but it's like oh yeah he married her and had nine kids i was like even the nine kids part adds even more i just yeah it's yeah, just a lot it, it is it's like a, a lot much it's a little much it's very much like a ki- it's a kid's fantasy is what it feels like so onset life what what kind of happened while shooting this thing in utah uh so it's interesting the the biggest challenge is a pretty obvious one is keeping all these kids organized and listening to directions <laughs> yeah they said after after the first week of filming, uh, Anthony Richmond went to David Evans and asked him if he could take the kids aside and talk to him because he had small kids of his own. So he's like, I took him out to the dugout and gave him a little piece of my mind and spoke to them like they spoke to each other. And the kid that plays squints came up to me and said, okay, we'll be good, but we want something from you. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I want a copy of this month's Playboy. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I got it for him at lunchtime and everything was fine after that. <laughs> oh my god! So uh, so so Cha- so Chauncey was just squints. Chauncey, squints yeah, Chauncey was that guy. <laughs> it was that guy. One of the other notes from that that sequence at the the Wendy Peppercorn thing was that the only direction that he was given the whole time was not to use his tongue. 
Yep, yeah. And he was like, yeah, this kid is just like a horny kid who has nothing to lose. And, you know, yeah, that's that story put everything into perspective for me. I was like, yeah, that explains a lot. That explains a lot. But, you know, Evans also would go on to say that he changed his approach to dealing with the kids uh, after the first couple of weeks by just telling them to act like they were at a baseball summer camp and to not even act, but to just be themselves. And the kids really took that to heart, it seems like. And all the families, they kept them all at this one condo like complex where the nine boys and all their extended family and siblings and everything like, spent the entire summer just playing Nintendo and like swimming at the pool and sneaking into R-rated movies. Uh, and you know, basically living the summer of their lives. So like, you know, it's a great yeah. summer. Like, you're getting played yeah. to hang out. You're getting paid to like hang out with the boys and play Nintendo and go swimming and play some ball. But like, it was funny. Like the crew even adopted the same mentality. Um, they were saying that the, the crew would split up into baseball teams dictated by their departments. And then they would play seven game series on the weekends against each other on the field, like on the Sandlot field, uh, just to fill time. Cause they're like, we're not from Salt Lake. Like we're just LA transplants doing our thing. It was interesting. Um, prop master was uh, Terry Haskell. There's a quote from him. He said, he had such a wonderful time. How hard could it be to spend a summer playing baseball and getting paid to do it? I've done a lot of films in my day and I'll tell you what, the simple little three months on a baseball diamond with those nine kids was the highlight of my career. Oh, wow. It's like, you know, I think the crew had a great time, man. Like there's really no like big, Oh my gosh. Production was so bad. Like, yeah, these people had a great time. They went out and they yeah. just made this movie about kids playing baseball. Yeah, that's a dream, that's man. Yeah, <laughs> so that never happens. So you got to enjoy yeah. it when it's there. Yeah. Like, we're going go to a fair one night. We're going go to the pool one day. Like, that's it, man. Yeah, that's what we're well, like, doing. It's amazing. Like that ne- just never happens. It's so rare to catch lightning in a bottle like that, especially like when you're trying to have your second uh, chance in Hollywood. And then As, you yeah, just have director, this, like, yeah. this dream situation just drop in your lap. And you're like, that never happens, man. Like that is just, you know, good for him. Yeah. I'm happy it yeah. happened. Um, but then it was interesting, you know, halfway through shooting, uh, 20th century Fox went and bought the, the distribution rights. Um, basically just from dailies. They're coming back so well. Oh, wow. And they, uh, they, yeah, they picked up distribution rights and they shot for 42 days. And after that, it was off to the races, getting it edited and hit the big screen. Nothing really like crazy went down in the middle of shooting other than them just being dumb kids. <laughs> okay. And so they get into editing. And when did this when does this movie get released and kind of what's the 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 response box? What was that all like? It was interesting. Film? So it releases in 93. Um, same year as Rookie of the Year, which is another children's baseball movie that still has like iconic. I feel like it's an iconic movie. So like yeah, children's baseball kind of, I, I, but, but it's I think not like, it's not this yeah, level, like the zeitgeist yeah, I think, of like this. Yeah, I think I think the thing the thing about Rookie of the Year, and this goes with kind of the 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 uh, appeal that Sandlot has is that Sandlot can somewhat feel timeless, when Rookie of the Year feels very dated of a specific time yeah like i i, I it's, it's it's like it, it, yeah dated yes it to, to in, in that type of term it feels it feels very much like 293 is the mm-hmm. thing but sandlot i think anyone can kind of relate to no matter because again it's not about playing in the big leagues it's about 
playing in the backyard or whatever with your friends. And that could be baseball. That could be basketball. That could be flag football or whatever. That could be anything where you're just like hanging out with your friends in the summer when rookie of the year is almost like very fantastical in a way what's trying to like he he hurts his arm and becomes a major league bit but it's very much a kid's dream um and yeah. this is more kind of a kid's reality i don't think it it, it doesn't carry the same weight generationally either. yes because like there's I a agree. reason why like my eight-year-old nephew last week when we were on vacation called his brother an l7 weenie and then did the thing on his head and i'm like yeah wow love that for you yeah welcome I, to yeah, the pop, welcome to the party kid. you made it yeah pop Pop culture wise, that's the thing is that Sandlot had a greater effect pop culture in the, on the pop culture than Rookie of the Year did. Yeah, is it? They just uh, yeah, it, it completely. Even though I, I'm pretty sure Rookie of the Year made more money than Sandlot. Um, yeah, you know, Sandlot, it's all about the marketing. Yeah, Sandlot I think had a a longer lifespan because of its appeal, with that nostalgia factor where like. You could be an adult and watch it and think of a time period when you grew up like that. Or you could be a kid and watch it and think of like what you are right now. It's there's kind of different levels to it. I think Rookie of the Year's Rookie of the Year's just kind of a it's a I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I haven't watched it in years, but like it's very much just a a kid's film. Like through yeah. and through. Yeah, I would agree with that. But anyways, so yeah. yeah, it comes out same year as Rookie of the Year. Uh, it ends up grossing in total worldwide about 34 and a half ish. Yeah. Um, on a budget of 7 million, which okay. that ain't bad, but it's not, you know, it could be better, but it's not bad. Also, you got to think about it makes, we're not living at the same it makes time. a profit. It makes a profit. It turns a profit yeah. all in. Uh, when you add home release and everything like up to date now, they think it's closer to like 75, 80 million when you th- take everything into account. Well, yeah. And you, yeah, you add cable in there. Oh Yeah. Yeah, had cable in there. They've had multiple physical releases. Yeah, over and the then, course and then, of and, all of and this. To, to the point where they, I know they did have like two direct to video sequels as oh, well. Yeah, two and three. I've never seen them. Just I've never seen them like either. Pure but I, I think I yeah I think David Mickey <laughs> principal. I think David Mickey Evans did all three of them. No, he did the second one. He did the second one. Yeah, and and, and the, he's very clearly in his career after this. Um. You know, he's done a couple movies, but nothing like never, ever again like this. Like, like probably I would say like Barely Legal was probably like the biggest movie he did after this. I think did he do Barely. Oh, oh, National Lampoon's Barely Legal. Yeah. Um, Maybe. I mean, that's a very that's a direct DVD thing. I feel like that's well, like we watched then. like this really didn't get him out of the doghouse. I don't think. Yeah. Which no, is well, he did. Well, yeah. He looks like he did first kid and first kid was he It looks like he became like, oh, he's the kid director. Like he does kid movies. So like he wrote Ed, he wrote Ed, which is a baseball movie with the with the was a chimpanzee or whatever. Yeah. Never Matt LeBlanc. And a, Matt LeBlanc. Oh, I saw it when I was a kid. Matt LeBlanc and a chimpanzee. My mom wanted uh, to see that, and I never wanted to play. But well, okay, it looks like that that made this is what probably put the doghouse again. Monkeys. I don't know if you knew this about me. <laughs> I did not know that. Thank you for telling yeah, me. I have, a, I have a, it's a uh, thing. Yeah. So this movie, he wrote it. He didn't direct it, but it made four point four million dollars on a twenty four million dollar budget. That's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, then he does First Kid the same year with Sinbad. Uh, that movie. That, that movie slaps low key. I, I I remember liking it as a kid. Um, I love that movie as a kid. That was a rental. Is that Will I was Friedle? a big, 
No, 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 that's that's my date with the president's daughter you're thinking of. Damn, dude. There's so many these presidential <laughs> kid movies. How could I forget? That movie also slaps low key. That was a I think that was a made for TV movie, weirdly enough. Was but it this decom? Is, this, I wasn't a decom. Well, maybe it was. I just that almost might have been like a, a like an ABC movie of the week, like Wonderful World of Disney movie. I'm not Yo, sure. They used to make some of those that were fire though. There's that one with Shia LaBeouf where he has like Asperger's that movie's fire well that's a decom that's 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 true confessions I'm getting them all confused now <laughs> they're all the same they're owned by the same people Brandon they're the same thing it's the same I'm thing a, I'm a purist when it comes to <laughs> decoms yeah tune in um, next month where we where we clarify what is a decom and what is not yeah yeah that's yeah people who know me well know me know know my uh I don't know if it's love but I just I grew up watching decoms in wonderful world of Disney so I know the difference. Um, I did not. I just watched what was on if it wasn't the same yeah. line. But First Kid, also a Disney movie, but not a made-for-TV Disney movie. Um, but, yeah, that was one. Yeah, that was that was like, yeah, that was an odd one. Art LaFleur, also in that, too, who plays Babe Ruth, is also in uh, First Kid as one of the security guards, I think. Uh, critically, how'd the movie do? Uh, so currently it's sitting and it's had a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes, but audience score of 89. So take that woke critics yeah. of Rotten Tomatoes. But, you know, honestly, like Roger Ebert gave it a three star rating. He said he compared mm-hmm. it to the summertime version of Christmas Story. Like it was cr- critically. I, can see I that. feel like it was well I received. See that. I, that does make sense. That That is a good. That's a good comparison. It's a good comparison. And I, I yeah. think it was critically well received enough. Maybe not like beloved critically. But yeah, you know, uh, audience uh, has been what helped this movie turn into like a cult following. Yeah, film, which is what it is now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, there's not there's not a major league baseball player alive, even in, like the Latin American guys that came up from like you know, yeah, like really, you know, like you would be like, yeah, they're they're you know, like you're killing me, Smalls. Like these guys, <laughs> like you're killing me, Smalls is like the most like quotable. This movie's so quotable. That's like that's the key. Quotable. That's the key. It's quotable, and that's what's helped it kind of uh, like kind of uh, break through like pop culture in a way. Yeah, that say that say some of those sports movies of that era did not. This just is kind of able to with like you you hear that you see you hear Killing Me Smalls all the time. You hear it all the time, like and possibly for people who never even saw the movie. There, there's always that possibility. Um, but yeah, it, I it's, did a girl it's, once because she made that reference to me. When I was in high school, that was the thing. I was like, "All right, maybe you're not so bad after all." We're going to a Braves game. You were that bad. Hey man, I'll be at a Braves game tomorrow night. It's all about the Mets, baby. Chasing the division, but you know what? Like this movie, I love baseball so Mm -hmm. much because baseball was such a heavy influence in my life as a kid. This movie was a lot of it. Yeah. It really was like I played Little League. I did all the but like this movie, I felt like was my childhood in mm-hmm. a lot of ways because all the vignettes like I have a lot of those memories. Like I have something similar in my life. Yeah. But it's like that um, nostalgic, like it captures it so perfectly in that. Yeah. In the quotability of it and just it's all packaged so perfectly in this one thing that is like very easy to accept and like appreciate when you watch it. You're like, Oh yeah, I get it. That makes sense. This movie rules. I mean, you may not feel that way when you start talking about your negative, your negative comments here in a second, but like, yeah. 
for me personally, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, that let's let that leads into what worked about this movie. So, what worked about this film, Hunter? Dude, the score is fire. Soundtrack is absolute fire. Soundtrack's great. Soundtrack's great. Yeah. Um, you know, in all honesty, I I think everything works for this movie. Like, I feel like I'm not the right person to ask. I feel like the cast, the cast being a bunch of kids who mostly like probably didn't have yes. much experience. Fantastic. Yes. They all nailed yeah. it. There's very few times where I'm like, oh, you're a bad actor. Like Bertram doesn't have much to do. He doesn't really talk that much, but no, he's not really yeah. asked to do that much. He fills his role of just kind of standing around being the tall guy. It's kind of yeah. quiet. And like they all perfectly, they nail the casting with these kids and it shows and it works really well for a movie that is really reliant on buying into that. Um, you know, I felt like it worked really well. Um, it's also just a beautifully shot film. Like it's, it's on film. It looks like it's on film. The sequences that like the night stuff with the fireworks. Yeah. Beautiful. The baseball sequences where they're just playing catch. You're like, Oh yeah, it's like a hundred something degrees. Those kids are out there. Like they don't realize how hot it is. Cause they're not old enough to complain about it yet. But it's like, you know, like it, it can, you can tell you just have that feel in the grain, the film grain of this is it's beautiful. It's a beautifully shot film. I, yeah, I agree. I, one thing I, I, we, we didn't mention that I like is again, the kind of the ending scene for all of them where like smalls is saying what happened to them. Also, I, we said mighty ducks guy for, uh, for, uh, uh, being the Jeff, but also Kenny, uh, Kenny, the pitcher is also mighty ducks guy. Uh, Brandon Quentin Adams, Jesse Holland, the first two mighty ducks. I forgot to shout out. Um, but yeah, I love the ending where it's like your cat's like Bertram. Well, Bertram got into the set like was a guy into the sixties or seven. Like, like, and we never saw got, him again. And we never never heard from him again. Like, he lost touch, which you know that happens. You know, but Bertram he's what, probably twelve lived- and it's sixty two already. How into the sixties yeah. did you get, Bertram? Tell me more. Well, I'm May, curious. May, was, May said seventies. No, 70s. he says the sixties. You're right, but it doesn't oh, does? make sense when you think about it. Well, if he's twelve, so and so sixty eight. That means he's eighteen and sixty-eight. So you could, you, he could, he could be like kind of a like anti-war, uh, protester, like really dropping LSD and like getting into the kind of the hippie movement of the era. Probably growing out long hair. I could see that. that. Makes sense. Yeah, that like all checks he's, out. He's he probably became a stock a stock market guy in the eighties. After that, if I had to guess, I don't know. Like, um, but uh. But yeah, no, the cast is great. No, I and this this movie does capture the Sandlot captures like a warmth um that goes with these summer movies. There is that nostalgia factor to it, and it does a good job of just like of capturing this innocence of this period where something like Stand By Me might like go with the more darker side of it. This is more of a lighthearted film that captures the importance of friendship and like, and how important friends are to your, 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 your growing up part of your life. Um, but yeah, I think the cast is good. The music is good. Um, but like the cast all has great chemistry. Like you're saying like that, the lines that the lines that go off one another is great. Um, the adults are also good. Like I said, Dennis Leary, Karen Allen, James Earl Jones. There's just a kind of a, again, a timelessness to this film that a lot of the films of this era do not have, I will say. Uh, so what did not work, Hunter? I think we said you, we know your answer. I have nothing negative to say. Uh, you okay. know, I think the Wendy Peppercourt thing, you had a good point earlier. Um, yeah. That's a good point. 
But in my mind, other than that, I don't really have much to say that's negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I am biased. I will admit it. I'll be the first person to tell you I'm biased. Yeah, I, I get it. Self-aware. I get it. I understand the Blues Brothers is my favorite film, and there's there's issues with that that I'm like, ah, but it's my favorite film, so I don't care. Um, but yeah, I think with this, I, the Wendy Peppercorn stuff is is kind of questionable um, in several ways. Uh, I I think the I think the I feel like some of the the beginning part doesn't work as well for me. Maybe because everything else is so memorable, but the beginning part just like isn't as much some of the narration is a little too much in moments. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's parts where he like keeps like, that's where I, why I did the biggest pickle of my life. And he says like multiple times early on, which makes me think like, we want to say it here. So like you realize what it's going to be for the last half of the film. Cause it's all vignettes leading up to it. And I actually don't like, I don't just hate, I don't dislike the vignette style uh, of it. I do think we do a little, too much of trying to get the ball i think that goes on a little too long of like all the different like methods things they try yeah i think they try like one too many methods i think i think it should just be like like do the the grabbing it then doing like may try the vacuum if you want to and the vacuum do, thing i think is the one you could probably get away with getting rid of that's true i think you just get away with the, it's like because they have like they have the the one with the stick, then they have the one with the bucket they turn over, then they have uh yeah yeah going over with the on the like bungee jump cord or whatever they they talk about. Um then you have the vacuums, then you have the erector set. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot that's mm-hmm. the same beat, essentially. Um so yeah, I think that's where it kind of it, it loses a little bit of its pace in the middle part right there. They got that my... erector set product placement in, though. You know. Yeah, gotta get that in there. You know, that could pay for the movie. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my stuff with the anything not work. So film facts. You said you had a lot of film facts for me. Yeah, I had a lot of fun facts. So, um, young Benny was played, uh, and his older Benny are two brothers. They are real life brothers, uh, Pablo Wait, Vitar and Mike Vitar. Really? Yep, they're related. They're brothers in real life. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a good film fact. Because when I was rewatching it for this, I was like, "Man, they really nailed that." That is like <laughs> there. That is dead on. But then yeah. they're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. They are brothers. That checks out." Yeah. So also later on in life, a couple years later down the road, um, the guy who the character of Squints was based on, who actually had the last name Palidorus. Yeah, um, yeah. Tried to sue the studio for defamation, saying that Squints is derogatory to him, like a character of defamation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the court sided with the studio and told him to to uh, kick rocks. So I was happy to hear that. <laughs> Love when that happens. Um, which they what they with the studio or with the guy? No, they sided with the studio. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they didn't yeah, side with the guy. This is a pretty yeah, clear like overreach. Yeah, his name his name is Michael. Well. Michael Polydorus, they spelled it's it differently. Kind of the same though, like it's. I, know, I agree. How many people you know with that name that sounds like that? I don't know. Any. Oh, I know. I know. I'm just saying. It's yeah. That's that's uh. Did he? But like, did he? I guess child classmate. Yeah, I mean that that's a big thing. It's like you want to. Yeah, be careful of the names. Yeah, distance the names. Like this is yeah. very clearly like I'm just going straight from the dome here. Going to write all this yeah. down. 
But that is. happens. I I think if he, I think he could have kept the name and changed and changed the Michael. He don't need the Michael. Like no one calls him Michael really. It's just Squints. The Squints. Yeah. Yeah. Just call just call him call him yeah Danny Paladoris. I don't care. Like. Yeah. That would make. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why do you need to know that Michael? That yeah. That that that's that's a that's a that's a misstep on your part right there as a writer. Completely, I completely agree. Same with the yeah yeah. I didn't know yeah yeah McClellan was his name. Yeah. Just yeah yeah. And first name Allen. His first name is Allen. Yeah. Like, why would I ever know that? I don't know that. Yeah. Um, another thing, all the baseball memorabilia in uh, Mr. Myrtle's house and in Benny's bedroom was all a mm-hmm. personal collection owned by Terry Haskell. Uh, but he loaned it to the film because the set <laughs> decorators were like, if we need to go buy like baseball memorabilia, it's going to cost us more money than we have yeah. to spend. He was like, just use my stuff and give it back to me at the end. I don't care. It'll save you money. So they use his stuff. Um, and when they God. shot the pool sequence, when Squint's face is drowning, uh, it was the coldest uh-huh. day of the summer. And you can see when they, when they get out of the water, Squint's is like shivering when he's walking. Yes, yes, It's because yes. they're all freezing. They're all freezing. <laughs> like, that's just, they're like no way around it. They're like The kids are just like, like shaking. They got the jitters because it's yeah. like the coldest day and they're in Salt Lake. So it all checks out. That makes sense. But yeah. it's like, I thought that was fascinating. I've always wondered that. Like, he's kind of just like, I thought it was like nervous shakes. Yeah, but it's same. Like, no, it's because it's freezing. It's freezing. Um, you know, the other thing I guess is um the big one for me. There's a quote about them shooting at Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. And, I wondered uh, that. Yeah, so there's a there's a bit that I read from Evans, and it says it's impossible to shoot at Dodger Stadium. You get to shoot at Dodger Stadium for one day, and we knew we needed to do it. It was in the script. He's like, so initially we thought we couldn't get it, and the producers just kept getting shot down by the Dodgers organization. So Anthony Richmond, the director of photography, is like, right, mate, you need to shoot at Dodger Stadium. I said, yeah. He goes, right, get in the car. We happen to be in Los Angeles, and I get in the car, this like phenomenally restored early 60s roadster. We race across L.A. up to Dodger Stadium, but it's closed for the day. He runs right by a security guy, waves his hand, and they wave him back. And he just drives right up to the clubhouse door, walks in. I follow him in. We walk right into Tommy Lasorda's office. And there's Tommy mm-hmm. in his underwear. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the skipper. That's the captain. You know, that's Tommy <laughs> Lasorda. And Tony goes, right, Tommy. He goes, oh, hey, Tony. This is David Evans. We're making this movie, terrific movie about baseball. We need to shoot here. And he goes, when? And Tony goes, when do you want to shoot here? And I go, uh, this day. And I point to it on a calendar. And Tommy goes, <laughs> Yeah, tell him I said okay, and that was it. It was freaking awesome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was man. like, man, I th- that's amazing. That's that'll never happen. <laughs> uh, it's interesting yes. that your 20th anniversary they they did a screening at Dodger Stadium. Everyone sat in the oh, wow. grass. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, I'm not a Dodgers fan. That would have been cool. I got Dodgers hat for you. And also the one thing I, you mentioned, like, but it's David Evans that narrates the movie as it Smalls. Is. Yeah, it is. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But it's, you know, obviously very close to him. So yeah. I guess I, but, I get it, but it is interesting. But that, that goes kind of talking about the summer movies and how they have this autobiographical nature to them where it's, it's, it, there is a narrator or you also have the sense that the, the filmmaker is like showing you a portion of their lives yeah. And that's both that's that's this, the truth in both cases here is that it's literally both both is that the filmmaker is narrating the movie and uh 
you're also seeing you're also feeling it's it's like you have a narration there of like of the story happening and that's that's an interesting comparison again ebert saying christmas story because i think in christmas story it's the writer of the original story of a christmas story is the narrator in a christmas story i believe is mm-hmm. what it is um and it's not the grown-up version a, of ralphie no, it is a grown-up version of Ralphie, but I'm saying like the guy who wrote the uh, Gene Shepherd who wrote the book that the script story is based on of he's the he's the narrator in the movie, and he's the one he wrote, and he wrote the book based on his life. Interesting. So he narrates it um, as the adult Ralphie. He's also in a separate scene. He's one that tells Ralphie to go to the back of the line. Uh, at he's the Santa the Claus, the Santa thing. No, no, he's he's the dude's like the the line ends here, begins back there. Oh, that's the that's that's the narrative film fact about Christmas story on our Sandlot podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, gonna, just gonna throw this in there while I got there. the moment to do it. That's off so, the uh, doom, yeah. guys. No, you know. That's off straight the out dome. the dome. Been carrying that around yeah. for years. All right, time for awards. Uh, the Beach Trade Out Award for actor actress that with limited scenes that kills it. Who do you have here? I got. I got. I feel one. like I'm obligated to give it to James Earl Jones. I because agree. Because he's great, <laughs> and it's James Earl yeah, Jones. And literally, like, like I guess two scenes, but it's like one continuous scene. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also like perfect in the scene. Yeah, he's perfect. He's fantastic in it. But Dennis Leary's also a really great shitty stepdad. So it's like I'm torn. I'm torn. I my, feel like it's pick, James Earl Jones out of principle. Yeah, I think James Earl Jones. I think just like I think about pop culture relevance is like everyone oh, like 100%. knows James. Earl. It's it's like it's it's like Darth Vader and then it's Mr. Myrtle. Wonder, I'm like, how did you get him in this movie? How did you like? Well, that's because you're, well, you're spending all your money on kids. You're not spending that much on those kids. You can actually that's like true. you get James, you get James Earl Jones for like two days. Or whatever. Oh, for Karen sure. Allen. Easy page. Karen, Karen Allen for like two days. Like that's like that's she gets point. the and like it's they get like and and with credits there. Yeah, that's that's why. Because that's the easy that's the easy shoot shoot day for them and they're and, and because they're the they're the names they can they can get a little bit more uh, money. So my pick's James Earl Jones. I will pick. I will agree with you, James Earl Jones. You knew Babe Ruth. George, I sure did. He knew me. He was almost as great a hitter as I was. I would have broken his record too, but. You went blind. Yep. I used to crowd the plate so that strike zone almost disappeared. Pitchers hate that. That's the way I played, 100% all the time. Baseball was life. And I was good at it, real good. And then. One day, a high fast one and pow, lights went out. The Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor or actress the most that is the most memorable. Who do you have here? The great Hambino. Ham I, agree. I think Pat. Yeah, Patrick Renna. I think is so damn good as this kid. It's he's like so good. Man. Again, again, I think he's like like family movie like kid actor Hall of Fame at this moment in time, like there's so many like he's he's he, like he knocks it out of the park no pun intended um he does he points it like, out <laughs> got <to> point it out <laughs> like it's like he 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 really is 
for and again for again the kid actors it's so hard again it's it's hard to have like a i mean it's really easy to have like a weak point in the kid actors but it's also really hard to stand out within like a kid like a, a group of nine kids especially like when you're not the number one on the call sheet you're not the you're not the lead kid you're not smalls and you're not benny it's like how do you stand out after when you're not even like one of the two main kids and he's somehow able and i think too i think it is that scene when it's behind the dugout that really kind of solidifies it where like that breaks him out as like it's like i think it's in, it's, it's between him or squints uh uh chauncey but i uh, but i think renna takes it i think that Rinna was i had it. i had chauncey a second yeah i think i, I think chauncey I, yeah. just behind him but still just behind, I, I, yeah i think i think his his story the, the the flashback is what kind of like puts him up there but i think just renna renna has bet has more moments throughout it's it's like i think he's one of the best parts of the of the throwing up scene in sandlot or at the at the fair i think he has some of the best reactions and like yeah. when he's doing it like i just yeah, think man. i think and even at the pool scene when he's like he's like ladies hey he's just like talking to all he's the only one that has he's like the swag bro yeah, it's like he doesn't care. He's like cannonball. Like he's, I think he's just, he's amazing in that part. Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, no. You want a s'more? I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? You're killing me, Smalls. These are s'more stuff. Okay, pay attention. First, you take the gram. You stick the chocolate on the ground. Then you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then you cover it with the other end. Yeah, me too. Then you scuff. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award: person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. This is to me a tougher one. Same. Um, I feel like it's all uh, out of principle. Out of principle. Yeah, me. I think it's. But I, think I it's don't David. know if it's like. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think it's. Da- I think it's David Mickey Evans is kind of the, the the choice because that that's the thing is like, I don't think there is a like we talked about everybody wants some last week. I don't think there's like a Glenn Powell. It's a child. It's or even or even like let's say like um. Stand by me. There's not a River Phoenix character where like he just like stands out tremendously. When you're talking about a movie that's so it seems like it is so personal to someone, you all yeah. you kind of have to give it to them out of principle. Yeah, it, it, it clearly worked. He clearly everything that he did worked. Yeah, and I think I think the same thing. Why I think my argument for Rob Reiner for Stand by Me was like you're having to wrangle a bunch of kids and yeah. to kind of put them through whatever training or rehearsal process he did to make this movie work uh he succeeded at it yeah yeah he succeeded at it and so like uh and because his personal story also you kind of have the narrative of like you just had the radio flyer mishap like he's been fired it's a comeback story so the movie's more important to him than like honestly if the movie fails like the kid actors will get jobs like again hopefully if they won't be blamed for it if they get with it he's gonna be blamed for it so if 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 this failed he has like oh that's two in a row and you can't have and and if you haven't had a hit before it's hard to it's not a great thing to have two misfires in a row 
So I would put the MVP award to David Mickey Evans. We all lived together in the neighborhood for a couple of more years, mostly through junior high school. And every summer was great. But none of them ever came close to that first one. When one guy would move away, we never replaced him on the team with anyone else. We just kept the game going like he was still there. Wow, starting to hurt my hand. It was weird that Benny had said Babe Ruth was like the Hercules of baseball, and the beast's name ended up being Hercules. None of us could ever figure out what that meant, but we were all amazed by it. So final questions. So you you posed a, not a remake, but almost like a, it's a sequel, essentially. Yeah, the It Chapter 2, as you explained. Yeah, yeah it's like it's 30 years later, and yeah. and all of these characters have 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 come back in some for some reason like it's a reunion mm -hmm. movie basically of all these people mm -hmm. like m maybe they're dedicate maybe they're dedicating the sandlot to benny the jet rodriguez and naming it after him he wants all the guys to come back for the dedication see i i don't think that's that's not my pitch i didn't watch two what's or your three. pitch i don't know what happens i don't know i don't, what know, I don't know i don't know what happens in two or three either i think the timmons brothers are about to take there's a plan to basically like sell the land for the sandlot off and build a mini mall. Which oh, wow. They're making the Timmons, the villains of the, the movie. Yep. Wow. But redeemable villains who end up seeing the error in their ways through the power <laughs> and love of baseball in the game. His ball is life. But it's weird who I picked for the, for the Timmons when you go with this pitch. That's why mine, mine makes sense a little bit, I think, but in a way yeah. still kind of like, you know, but yeah, I think that's it. And so basically all these guys are like, we got to get the band back together to try to do like one last thing to save. It's a very Riverdale plot. Them trying to okay. save pops diner, but it's like, they're trying to come back and save the Sandlot from being, you know, torched and built into a mini mall from the Timmons. That's my pitch. With that in mind, I've got the kids and Wendy Peppercorn, even though she's not that important to this story. Yeah. As like the rest of them are clearly. <laughs> she could be. She could be. She could be. She, but like she 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 could be hey, she could be the one that like gets them all to come back. Like she could be kind of like a uh like a PTA mom in town or something that her their her kids play yeah. the I think Dennis so, Leary definitely comes back for sure. <laughs> Dennis Leary is Bill 100%. Yeah. What does he what does Bill do again by the way? Does it ever say? I don't know if it's ever I, explicitly I just, said. It's, I, I, it goes out of town for business. He's doing some work. He's I just I missed man. it. I missed He's it. He's a money maker. Okay. He's a provider. I I I I have all the kids too and I I just I pulled out a Wendy just because. So we'll do Win, we'll do right our Wendy's first. Dome. All right. We'll do our Wendy's, Wendy's first. first. Yeah, I got Emma Stone. Okay, I picked Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ooh, blonde. That I like your pick better. That's a good <laughs> pick. okay. That was blonde, one I threw out for sure. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. That checks well, out. I like that pick. Okay, we'll we'll save Timmy and Tommy a little bit because since you, they're now the villains, um, we'll we'll go Bertram. Bertram Nathan Fielder. The dude was born to play adult. Oh, that's Bertram. a that's a good pick. I picked Andy Samberg. I also had Samberg. I at yeah. one point I had Andy Samberg and Little Dicky, and then I was like, <laughs> "Nah, Nathan Fielder." <laughs> Nathan Fielder, interesting. Okay, that's 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 a that's a toss up for people. Uh, I like both of them. 
He doesn't have to do much. He just stands there and looks like Nathan Fielder playing baseball. Well, thanks for the bit. That's, like, oh, that's, Ber- that's Bertram. Um, you're really in the 60s. But I think, I think, it's, I, think San- I feel like Fielder, even though I know it is performance sometimes, but like I think Fielder just like, he wouldn't have to do as much. I think Samber would actually probably make a, a, a big character out of it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Nathan, it just kind of it being in a physical space is funny sometimes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so my, my Bertram's p- whole thing. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know what life has done to Bertram in the in, in like in the sixties and seventies. Um, mm. I mean, and again, all these characters are like in their like forties, basically. Because it's thirty years later, it's like it's the, it's basically takes place in the nineties, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Who do you have for yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I had Shia LaBeouf. Okay, I put I, I put Re- I put Remy Malik as yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 That's, uh, I mean, not. I had him in, in one of mine and then took him out. Okay. To be fair. But I not think as he, has a, he has a similar. I, I'm just talking about casting based off look right now. I think Remount could play an older Yeah Yeah. That's my thing. Oh, I don't disagree with you. I, th- I, I think he play older out. Yeah Yeah. I think he play older Yeah Yeah. I think he um, do it too. All right. Kenny DeNunez, who's the who's the pitcher? Uh, Kenny DeNunez. I had Lakeith Stanfield. Okay. That's not and a bad. And also pick. John Boyega. Okay, see, I had John David Washington is who I had. Oh, that's a good one. All, th- that's all good three one. good it picks. It might be more all age th- appropriate, I think. Yeah, I think. Mine yeah. are a little young. Okay, I'll go with John David Washington. Um, Okay, now we'll do Timmy and Tommy. Timmy, I had Jesse Plemons. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. Let me, let me, okay, then who's your Tommy? Haley Joel Osment. Uh- <laughs> and I think they would be perfect. The, they could be brothers, Absolutely yeah. perfect. They look like they could be brothers, and also they look like they could be nice, but also like, yeah. just total piece of shit. So, so like, here, I think they're uh, great. <laughs> okay, so here's what I pick for Timmy. I pick Macaulay and Kieran Culkin for Timmy and Tommy. Dang. That's, well, when you said, well, it's funny because Kieran Culkin was su- they kind of look su- like that. Yeah, with yeah. Succession, when you said like they're building a mini mall and they're the villain, I was like, oh, it's 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 he's it's a like character from Succession. Yeah. <laughs> session um okay um squints who do you have for squints i had kieran culkin as squints oh wow yeah yeah that's also why not, i was like also- he just took the wind out of my sails <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pick too it's a good pick too I, okay. I i think he'd make a great squints person he would make a good squints i had paul dano for squints i don't like paul dano in that Oh wow! Okay, I don't like Paul Dano in that. That that was a late one. That was I, Squints was the hardest one to cast for me. Squints was the hardest one to cast for me. So another Kieran Culkin for Squints. Um, Kieran Culkin. I think Kieran Culkin for Squints. Paul Dano. Okay. I don't know. I mean, you could you could uh, Jesse Plemons and Macaulay Culkin. Oh, I mean, Jesse Plemons and uh, um, Harry Joel Osment. I think work too. I think Haley Joel Osment yeah. works the most as as Tommy. Maybe you do, maybe you do Haley Joel Osment and Macaulay Culkin, and then you just have Squints playing. <laughs> You have secure <laughs> playing with squints. Um, You're like, why are they playing two unrelated Yeah, two unrelated yeah, It doesn't brothers. matter. Um, all right, who do, you have for, who do you have for Ham? Paul Walter Hauser. The man. Oh, that's a myth, good the pick. The legend. That's a good yeah. pick. I'm picking. That yeah, was I'm the one I was that. like, that's the one. That's, that's, a that's a the pick. one I want to take home. Yeah. I had I I put Dan Fogler down, but you, but Paul but Hauser's better. I love Dan Fogler though. Dan Fogler's like, great. I think like he'd be good family. too in that role. Yeah, Dan Fogler could be great, I, but Hauser I think could be. It depends Paul how you Walter want Hauser, to. Well, knowing that he becomes a professional wrestler named the Great Hambino. Yeah. 
I think it's Paul Walter Hauser out of just principle. I agree. I think Fogler could be more of the the insult heavy part. Oh yeah, he's a little quicker. That's a tough one. I'll let people choose on that one. Who do you want to do next, B- Benny or Smalls? Let's do Smalls. I feel like Benny's. Yeah, I have a, I have a bigger Let's person for Benny than Smalls. Smalls, Benny, I have Smalls. I have Colin Hanks for Smalls. I had Glenn Powell. Oh, interesting. Kind of toned down. At first, I had Chris Evans. Yeah. And then I changed it. I'm also trying to think, like, physicality. Like, who's going to be, like, the announcer? <laughs> and, like, if Chris... Yeah, it came with Chris Evans, because I feel like Chris Evans, like, he, he could be out there playing baseball, you'll probably think. Like... Oh yeah, no. Physically. But physically. I I think I think Glenn Powell could be that. Like you we don't know Glenn That's Powell interesting. is like jacked as hell until he plays beach football in Top Gun. Like that yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, Glenn Powell, get it. Go out there and cook. But yeah. I think I would buy Glenn Powell in that role. Okay. Plus I just love Glenn Powell. I understand. I understand. I I, I, I love Ka- I, I know, I know. That's fine. That's fair. We do it a lot. We do it a lot on the show. Uh, I would I would still go with Colin Hanks for me for this role. I think Colin Hanks is, uh, I th- I like it better tonally. I think it fits. I think tonally. I think tonally it works a little bit better with Colin Hanks. Um, okay, who do you have for Benny? Anthony Ramos. Oh, interesting. He's he's younger. He's younger, but I I think he could have done it. At okay. first, I was like, I this is who I had Rami Malek down for. Actually. Oh, interesting. See, I, so I have Oscar um, Isaac. I have Oscar Isaac down for this role. I thought Oscar Isaac, and then I thought he might be too old. No, he's 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 about the same as everybody else in this list. Yeah, he's forty three. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd, be right, he'd be the right age. I really liked he's, Anthony Ramos as a pick, but I also had that initially down. So if you want to go that route, I'm down to go that route. Let's go Oscar Isaac. Yeah, let's go Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac for that. Cool. That's it. That's a solid cast. So off that or last or next question, uh, does this film fit with any other genres? Coming of age, sports movies, coming of sports, age, sports, sports movies, yeah, baseball movies, um, uh, sixties movies set in the sixties. Yeah, 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 sixties. Well, yeah, coming of age again. Like a letterbox list. Yeah, also very specific. This could be about letterbox list, like specific era of coming of age movies that takes place in like early sixties. The 1960s, yeah. like I was talking about earlier, Early the 1960s America was awesome. That, yeah. that genre. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like baby boomers looking back on their life about like pre-Kennedy, before everything went crazy. Before they burned it all down to the ground. Yeah. 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 Before yeah. Vietnam. <laughs> those were the good days. That's what they're saying. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a specific thing. Final question. How does this film fit with the summer genre? Well, we talked about the passage of time and how time can feel almost endless with the summer when you're young. It just constantly keeps going and then it finally just like ends. And I think one thing that's smart they do that we didn't talk about this, they, they actually start at the beginning of the movie when it goes to the flat, when it goes to the 62, they start with them at school very briefly where like Benny's playing, like they're all playing baseball, like in the, in the school playground or whatever. And he gets the pickoff or whatever. And they're trying to, when they're trying to run, two guys that for, for home yeah yeah and like and that's and then you just we forget about that and we don't and they're then back at the sand lot basically um but yeah it, it, this passage of time and the vignettes is why i think really helps with this because like i said earlier you you have these things where like you're focused on this section here then you're focused on this section here and you're kind of just like you're you're 
you're wasting time in the summer because there's no their only motivation is to get better at baseball well they can't do that every day so they have to figure out other ways to pass the time so they do these things um you have that autobiographical nature that we talked about with uh david mickey evans his kind of voiceover but his also kind of pulling from his life uh as you were saying earlier with kind of how he about basically this one was though like what if the bullies were nice and they asked asked to play baseball together um what if what if america worked the way it should should have yeah (laughs) um and and what if the dog that bit his brother was not mean but was actually really nice um you have the coming of age quality to it all and again you have that warmth that, that nostalgia that comes with a lot of a lot of summer movies it's the looking back on a specific time in their your life when before like and not just like when everything was okay but it's when you learned something and you learned just this this part of growing up essentially and i think with um again i think it's not as strong here as other movies like say stand by me but it, it is there with smalls in some way specifically with the with the father son relationship aspect of it that's the thing it's like you could do the sandlot in a weird way and make it more about the father son if you wanted to but they kind of just like take that out of it and they just kind of it's kind of bookends in a way mm-hmm. um but it's all key to it because of the baseball all right is that is that it on the sandlot hunter yeah, I think honestly, I think we covered this one front to back. I feel like I did. I mean, like you know, I could obviously talk about this movie for a long time, as yeah. you can probably tell by now. Um, but I don't know if I would subject everyone to more stories. <laughs> so, with that being said, I feel confident that we covered the hell out of the Sandlot. It's a lot because there were, I I didn't see a lot on there when, when when you picked it so I was like okay I hope we can find a good bit about the making of it because yeah there's not you can really there. like dig into you know you have to look pretty hard uh, it's not yeah. like you know Jeremiah Johnson where there's like a ton of stuff yeah you know? it's, it's, it's like a little bit hard not it's, many people want to talk about the making of the Sandlot yeah it's a kids movie from the nineties like what what could what could yeah. have happened um but I did yeah, a good so job with it like, you know trying to find out the even Stevens making of the even Stevens movie. The big like, thing is fine. Terry, Terry Haskell's uh, prop master, just like being the, he, he might've been the MVP of the movie with all the stuff he brought to the table. <laughs> he, he honestly, at one point when I first was like, who was MVP? I wrote down Terry Haskell. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Other principal. I want to. It's a good also, pick. Shout, it's a good... shout out to prop masters. Just, yeah. Me familia. Un- unsung heroes. Yeah. Yeah, they really are, man. Um, Those people, they hold, they're the glue a lot of the times, and they go completely unsung. Shout, yeah, shout, shout out art department. Art, every form of art Truly, department. You have no yeah. idea. You have no idea. <laughs> We're going to talk about that next week. On, on Speaking of next week, uh, on Dirty Dancing podcast, there's some art stuff coming up with that. But next week, we're talking about Dirty Dancing. It's the final episode of our summer month, so stay tuned for that. Thomas will be back to talk about that. Um, but that's all we have for you in this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at cinnationpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, or just kind words. And also, if you're a new listener or a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to Cination Podcast to stay on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Give us five stars. We love those. We want to hear what you guys think about the show. Um, any review helps. 
It helps get the word out about the show. Uh, and we just like hearing what we have to say. We appreciate it tremendously. Um, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Hunter, thank you for coming on again and joining me and talking about your favorite movie of all time, The Sandlot. You don't have to twist my arm to talk about The Sandlot <laughs> for two hours. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Thank you guys for listening to us talk about it. And uh, yeah, give us feedback. Give us the five-star reviews. Obviously, need those so we can put more episodes out. Thank you for everything. Had a great time. See you on the next one. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.